We're in the uh, last of our series on the prophet Elijah. If you're a guest with us today, we're delighted that you're here. If you're worshiping with us online, we're delighted that you are worshiping with us as well. And uh, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 2 as we wind up this time in the prophet's life. Wouldn't it be great if we could just sort of bypass death? So like a, a game of celestial monopoly. You know, do not pass go, do not collect $200, just go directly to heaven. That would be a nice way for the ending to come. Sometimes when we talk about dying, somebody will, will inevitably say, well, you know, we don't get out of this world alive. But that, that we may have to revise that really soon. The nonprofit organization Mars One has set the lofty goal of establishing a human colony on Mars by 2027. That, now, folks, that's only 11 years away. They plan to send four pioneers as a test group, and then every two years send another four pioneers. Now, it's going to require resourceful and capable people because they're going to have to fill all different kinds of capacities. After all, there are no return flights. Since a one-way trip takes seven months and costs a, a, a small fortune, the volunteers have to be willing to die on Mars. And yet, the Mars One Project has received already over 200,000 200, video applications to be one of those four people to go and colonize that planet. They've whittled it down to 100 people. They'll whittle it down to four eventually. But what, what an amazing concept. When it comes to dying, only two people that we're aware of in the Bible have escaped death. One was a man by the name of Enoch who lived prior to the flood and uh, he simply was no more. Uh, the book of Genesis tells us that he walked with God and so close was their fellow, his fellowship with God that God just took him home to glory like that in the twinkling of an eye. He's here and then he's gone. No death. Now I think that's a glimpse actually into what's going to happen to those of us who are still alive at the return of the Lord. We will be changed in a twinkling of an eye like that. The other escapee is our own prophet Elijah. His departure is as close to a Mars mission launch as we have recorded in God's word. He was whisked away, not by a fiery rocket, but by a fiery chariot. It was an extraordinary ending for an ordinary man who'd lived an extraordinarily faithful life for God. What a way to go. Fiery chariot all the way home. Oh, that we could anticipate dying like Elijah. I know, I know it's not going to happen, but we still do our best to soften uh, the inevitability of death. General Douglas MacArthur famously included this line in his farewell speech to Congress in 1951. He said, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. There have been several attempts over the years to expand on that theme in a well, slightly humorous way to soften again the edge of death. For instance, old cashiers never die. They just check out. <laughs> old custodians never die. They just kick the bucket. Old musicians never die. They just decompose. It doesn't get any better, so you might as well just enjoy it, all right? <laughs> old librarians never die. They just close the book. Old farmers never die, they just go to seed. Old quarterbacks never die, they just pass away. Old, law old lawyers never die, they just lose their appeal. 
Old pilots never die. They just go to a higher plane. And my favorite, old fishermen never die. They just smell that way. <laughs> In first service, I, I told the crowd, I said, I could not find one about old preachers. I guess we just start sleeping through our own sermons and don't ever wake up. So two of our men, while I preach, diligently searched the internet trying to help out <laughs> with an answer to that question. One of them said, that, uh, to, both of them had, had different answers, and one of them come up with, old preachers never die, they just ramble on and on and on <laughs> and on. That happened to come from one of our elders, which has really got me a little worried uh, <laughs> as I progress through the day. The other one I thought was pretty good too. It said, old preachers never die, they just get put out to pastor. <laughs> yeah. The story of Elijah has been a great one. And, there, and, and, and his homegoing, and the, and the events surrounding it, there, there is really some powerful lessons that I think we need to remember. So 2 Kings chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha, same question, and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at, the, at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, as we'll see in just a few moments... Once they crossed the Jordan, Elijah's journey was over. It would only be a matter of moments before he was whisked away. One of the things I so appreciate about Elijah is his faithfulness to the very last moment. Uh, I've shared this study with you in the past, um, but this is a good point to share it with you again. It's, it took place actually 25 years ago now. A man by the name of Robert Clinton studied the leaders of the Bible. And he, and he narrowed down from all the leaders, the top 100 leaders in, in biblical history. And then he looked at their life and sadly to his dismay discovered that less than one in every four finished well. Wow. Bible leaders, Bible leaders, less than one finished well. Which that statistic alone sets Elijah in a rather rarefied air compared to the rest of Bible leaders. He finished well to the very last second. He was walking faithfully, serving God, building and establishing biblical leadership. And you say, well, wait a minute. Okay, all right. What about that time that Elijah got depressed and ran from the city? That wasn't very faithful, was it? Well, I wouldn't call it unfaithfulness. 
It was brought on by an emotional weariness, fear, physical exhaustion, and loneliness. But, but it wasn't unfaithfulness. He didn't stop believing God. He was not unwilling to serve God. It was a moment of weakness to be sure. But it wasn't unfaithfulness. Now, if you define faithfulness as never making a mistake, never erring in your manner, never sinning before God once you start this journey, then I'm here to tell you none of us in this room have a prayer of being faithful to God. But faithfulness is a journey. It's not being perfect. It's just heading in the right direction as a life trajectory. Faithfulness has its ups and its downs. Along the way in life, we stumble and fall. But if we stay the course, that's faithfulness. Author Eugene Peterson described faithfulness in these words, and I really like this. A long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. When we mess up, and every one of us messes up, we don't throw in the towel and just give up and say, well, can't do it perfectly, so I won't do it at all. No, we brush ourselves off and we start out again. I've watched now all of our grandchildren learn how to walk. I'm going to tell you, this process is harder as a grandparent than it was as a parent. Because, I, 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 you know, there's this idea, I, I don't, when they're on my watch, I don't want them to go home with a big old goose egg on the back of their head because they fell, you know, trying to walk. And so I, you, know, you kind of want to hover around them. And occasionally, I just want to pick them up and carry them so that I don't have to watch them fall. But, but I can't do that. They will never learn to walk. If I keep protecting them. So when we learn to walk, we have boot bumps and bruises from the ups and the downs that happen in that process. But through the ups and the downs and through the bumps on our head, we learn how to carry out that balance. God is a wise heavenly father. God does not carry us often. On rare occasions he might, but most of the time he lets us have the freedom to fall. Because it is when we fall and we stumble and we make our mistakes that we learn to walk by faith. And if we don't learn to walk by faith, we can never be faithful to God throughout our life. And so God lets us fall when it's important because it helps teach us the tools that we need to get through life. And if you look at Elijah's life, if you look at a review of it, you'll see from beginning to end, it was a faithful journey. He was on the right trajectory. From the scripture, we know this about him. He was a man who wanted what God wanted. Can I ask you, do you? Do you want what God wants for his kingdom, for your life, for your family? Or is it more about what you want than God wants? He was a man of prayer. Elijah experienced some awesome answers to his prayers from God. How does your prayer life, how does my prayer life stack up against Elijah's? What answers have you witnessed to your prayers? He was a man of trust who depended upon God in all circumstances. Do you trust God? Do you believe that in the toughest moments of your life, he's there and he can get you through? He was a man of the word who unfailingly stood for the truth at all cost. Do you stand for the truth? He was a man of obedience. Jesus said, if you, keep my if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, do what I tell you to do. If you want to know how you express love for God, that's it. Jesus gave us the, the, the clue right there. When you obey me, when you follow me, when you do what I tell you to do, that is your expression of love for me. Elijah was that kind of a follower. 
Would you have a passing grade or a failing grade when it comes to obedience? Or something else. I think Elijah did a wonderful job of communicating these same principles and ideals to Elisha. And even though he tested his student, Elisha, three times by saying, you stay here. I'm going to go on. God has called me there. Boy, Elisha stuck to him like glue. He was loyal. He was faithful. He was not going to miss this last day. It must have been particularly hard for Elisha. Every band of prophets they met said, do you know this is his last day? Yes, yes, I know it. Don't, don't talk about it. Now, I, I read some commentators who think that Elisha was being extra spiritual here and that he was trying to protect Elijah on his last day. Don't, don't bother him. Don't talk to him about it. He's, he's got a lot on his mind. This is his last day. Just, just back off. I don't think that's what's going on. I'll be honest with you. I, I just think Elisha's having a hard time. I don't care how faithful you are. I don't care how much you love the Lord. When somebody you love in this life dies, it's, it's heartbreaking. When someone is taken out of your life, it's hard to deal with. I think Elisha's saying, I don't want to talk about it. It's going to happen today. I know that. I don't want to talk about it. He was hurting. There was some sorrow here. And I'm impressed with the way Elijah spent his last day on earth. He spent it doing what he'd always done. Teaching and equipping and mentoring. He would leave this place a better place than he found it. He met with the prophets and taught them just as he had done on numerous days. Nothing changed because it was his last day. Now I got to, I got to think about that for a minute. If I suddenly discovered today was my last day, how would I, how would I spend it differently? You know, I, I even had to ask myself, would I preach today if this was my last day? I, I don't know. I hope I would, but man, you only got one day left. Do I want to do it this way? How, what would you do? I love the fact that Elijah just lives his ordinary daily life. He is so in tune with walking with God and his faithfulness to God that he didn't have to change anything. Some of us would go into a sheer panic if we found out it was our last day. Oh, man, do I have a lot of homework to do for God before I get there and answer all these questions at the pearly gate? You know, yesterday I didn't do some good things. Today I got to make up for those good things. Would you, would you be panicked in your relationship with God if you found out today was your last day? Elijah just went about his business how exciting is that? And if you knew today was your last day, what would you reflect upon as your greatest contribution to making this world better equipped to serve God? What have you done to leave that kind of a legacy behind? You know, God has, through the years, God has been so good to this congregation. I marvel at his blessings here, but we dare not sit back and rest upon the accomplishments and the blessings of the past. Will we be faithful to the challenges that are before us? I believe, the, I believe the church is really, or the future is really bright for the church. By the way, folks, it's when things are darkest out there that the light shines brightest. And so in some of the dark days ahead, I want us to shine as brightly as we possibly can. And I desperately want this church family to be a bright light for generations to come. Not just for now, but I want the light to get better and brighter as the days go by. <clears throat> this building is wonderful too. We, we've, uh, we've had it now for several years. Part of the building is almost 25 years old. And through the years, we haven't done a whole lot to, to kind of spruce it up or, or fix it up. And we got some things that are coming down the road. I know that. Uh, it, but it's a tool. 
The building is a tool. The building is not the church. It's a tool that we use to communicate the gospel of Christ. Do you, I don't think you probably have any idea how often this building gets used on a daily basis by, by people in the community with different kinds of meetings and seminars and that type of thing. And I love to see the parking lot full when I come in on a weekday knowing that somebody in this area is benefiting from this tool. I learned from my grandfathers many, many years ago as a kid that tools are to be cared for because they are important to keep sharp and clean. My grandfather always oiled and sharpened his shovel after every day's use. He never put it up without oiling the shovel blade and sharpening uh, the toe of it. You know, now, I'll tell you, I don't do nearly as good a job as my grandpas did with their tools, but I, I understand the principle. I'm looking forward to the things that are going to happen here. Now, I'm really looking forward to this new connector we're going to put in between the two buildings because I think it's going to do a lot of great things. It's going to give us a new entrance and carport on that end of the building. It's going to have a, enough room that we can use it for other community processes and it'll be a great fellowship place like we have out here in the foyer. But my real excitement about that is the fact that it will make a huge difference in our children's ministry and their future safety and security. You see, in my mind, the most precious gift God has entrusted to this church is our future generations of our children and youth. When I see the kids' choir up here, like they were oh, a couple weeks ago, I see them singing with all of their hearts and the music just coming out of their mouths with such energy. I get excited about that. I look at all those kids. And those aren't all of our kids. That's just part of our kids. It's just it's exciting to see that. When I hear the enthusiasm of our youth when they come back from a mission trip and they say, man, we're ready to go again. We want to do more. I'm thrilled to hear those kinds of things. When my grandkids tell me Bible stories or ask spiritual questions or remind me, God will take care of that. I'm overwhelmed with hope for the future. And I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for what this congregation has done and is going to do to help these future generations. So this is not the time to rest, but the time to pick up the pace because the days are short. There are a lot of challenges here that will ensure a positive future for generations to come. You see, if the church is healthy and grows, then there is continued supplies for missions work and community work. The stronger the, the church family, the more the outreach. But when a church loses its vision for the future, when a church says, you know, we've had a really good run at it, let's take a break. It never works. The church is either moving forward or the church is moving backwards. You can't just tread water. And an unhealthy church makes for an unsharpened and dirty tool. Now, we'll, we'll talk more in the days ahead about what's going on and, and everything, but I'd like, for, I'd like you to join me in, in praying this way. Over the next few weeks and months, just pray. Lord, what can I do to help this church do its best to prepare for the future so that generation after generation after generation comes to know Jesus Christ? And you say, well, that's, okay. But what in the world does that have to do with Elijah? Well, I'm glad you ask because it has everything to do with Elijah's last day. Now, what we miss in reading this story casually is Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. Do you know what they were? They were the Bible college cities. They were the seminary cities. This is the place where the school of prophets met. Do you get what's happening here? 
On his very last day, Elijah went back to pour himself into the lives of younger people who were going to be serving in the kingdom. They were going to be serving God in Israel, and he's helping to develop those people with his last ounce of energy. I love that picture. What a great way to spend one's last day in this world investing in tomorrow. Are you spending time mentoring anybody that's younger than you? Are you taking your life's experience and pouring that into somebody younger than you? On the other side of the coin, are you being mentored by somebody younger? Because mentoring works both ways. There's a lot I've got to learn from a younger generation. Not, not, uh, it's, it's not just about making sure my remote control is working right when other pieces of electronics are, are that way. It is about learning from each other and giving and pouring back. Being the church doesn't mean come and sit. It means come and serve. What are you doing to leave a legacy behind that will live long after you are gone? If this is your last day, if you knew it, what are you going to do with it? Will you spend it on yourself or will you help somebody prepare for tomorrow? Now, now let me take a second look at these cities, Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. I, again, I don't think there's, there's an accident here. Gilgal was the, was the city of new beginnings. When the Israelites came out of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and they crossed the Jordan River and set up camp for the very first time in the promised land, they, they camped at Gilgal. It, it is a place of new beginnings. Bethel is two Hebrew words together, Beth and El, which means house of God. This is where Abraham built an altar to worship God. It is here that Jacob had his dream. Jacob's ladder or the staircase that went to heaven with angels ascending and descending and where God gave him the same promise. And Jericho, well, that was the city of the first battle in the promised land. The army of Israel marched around the city once for seven days, and on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and they were armed only with trumpets. They blew the trumpets. The walls came down. It was, it was where God gave them the victory. Now, that's sort of a mirror of Elijah's life. Elijah had a lot of new beginnings in his story. Elijah was a man of deep worship who helped reinstate worship of God into Israel on Mount Carmel. And it was God who gave him the victory in the battles. Folks, this is a good way for us to live every day of our lives. Make a new beginning every day. Make worship a priority every day and make sure you depend on God in the battles you face every day. Be faithful to the very end. Be like Elijah. Finish well with your very last breath. 2 Kings 2 goes on in verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha said. Boy, you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. But if you see me when I am taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise, not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. 
Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, went back and stood at the banks of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left. And he crossed over. I'm impressed with Elisha. Elijah wasn't the only example of faithfulness here. Elisha's request was one of bold faithfulness too. What do you want? I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, this is a great ask. He's not asking for himself. He's not saying, hey, I want twice as much power as you had. That's not what he's asking. I want want twice as nice a place to live as you had. I want this, I want that. No, he's saying, I'm going to need a double portion of your spirit, your attitude, your heart with which you ministered, because I want to serve these people, and I want what you have, only I'm going to need a lot more to get it done. Now, God loves it when we ask in faith like that. And and Elijah says, well, if you see me go, when the time comes, you'll have it. And you think, well, who could miss that? I mean, how often do you have a chariot pulled by fiery horses and whoosh? I'm surprised Elisha wasn't singed by the heat. I'm not sure the average person could see this, folks. I think the ordinary person, dulled in their senses by the things of this world, might have just seen Elijah there and Elijah gone. I think only somebody who was authentic in their walk of faith would be able to see this heavenly messenger come to take the prophet back home. Elisha saw it all. He had learned to focus his vision on the unseen world, which is our ultimate destination. You see, Elisha was looking ahead at God's plans. He was keeping God in his vision. He was keeping heaven in his vision. He had his eyes open to see. Do you? On day six of that ill-fated Apollo 13 mission, the astronauts needed to make a critical course correction. Um, if the course correction failed, they would, they would not enter back into the Earth's atmosphere. And yet they'd shut down their computer to, to preserve energy. So the astronauts needed to conduct a 39-second burn of the main engine to redirect the craft, what was left of their spacecraft and the lunar module. And, and James Lovell was the one that was going to have to steer the craft to do that. And this was going to have to be done manually without computer and what, help. And so what they needed was something outside that small triangular window that would help guide them. And lo and behold, outside that window was earth. And Lovell knew that if he could just keep the earth, their destination, their home, in the vision of where they were going, that they would get on the right trajectory. And so it was an arduous 39-second burn, but the, but the earth stayed right there in the window. And you know the rest of the story. They made it home by not losing sight of the most important reference point at that point in their life. They made it home. Your most important reference point in your trajectory through life is God and this ultimate home, this ultimate world where he's calling us. Now, in these last couple minutes, let me me just give you three lessons real quick. Here we go. Ask big. God honored Elisha's outrageous request because it honored a great God. I think God is insulted when we ask puny things of him. I think he wants us to ask from him things that are, well, honorable to a great God. Not things for ourselves, but things for the kingdom. How would it advance people knowing God? 
God may not respond as you wish because they may not be good for us. God can still say no while answering our prayers because he knows it's not the best thing. But God is honored. God is always honored with a big ask. So when you pray, ask big. And then here's another thing. Watch and stay close. Always keep your eyes on God and his will for your life. Make your journey with him. It's so easy to become distracted by the things of this world. And in the process, we lose sight of God. Don't lose your focus. Last thing, make the most of right now. Since you don't know and since I don't know when our last day on earth will be, make every day count. I'm struck by the fact that Elijah left this world at the very same Jordan River where his ultimate successor, Elijah was, Elisha was his successor, but he wasn't his ultimate successor. When Elijah passed on this mantle of prophetic proclamation, it fell on the one John the Baptist, who would come generations later, but he lived out much in the same way as Elijah did. And here at the Jordan River, where Elijah goes home in a fiery chariot, is where John the Baptist Buried people in baptism to be more devoted and committed to God. I don't think that's an accident. I think that's an incredible picture. How devoted are you this morning? Among the Mars One applicants, actually she's one of the finalists down in that group of 100, is Leela Zucker, an emergency room physician who hopes to be as famous someday as Neil Armstrong. Dr. Zucker said, we can't stay on this planet forever, so let's go now. I appreciate her enthusiasm. And she is right about one thing. We can't stay on this planet forever. So now is the time to make the choice. Now is the time to walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Huh. On second thought, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you do get out of this world alive. But only with him. 